You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. I am back from vacation and raring to go with this massive report about the Comey IG report that documents the coup against President Trump and the failures of the Justice Department and the FBI. Big news in court last week, granted new discovery. Judicial Watch has granted new discovery by a federal court into the Clinton email and Benghazi lawsuit we're pursuing. We filed a new lawsuit to challenge a sanctuary policy, a deadly dangerous one in California, and a new court order also uh, orders the FBI to search for more Spygate documents. So that was great news as well. So I'm going to start with the big news of the week. I, I tell you, this IG report, if you haven't read it, you should read it. If you're an American citizen interested in understanding, understanding the coup, the criminal seditious conspiracy against President Trump, then the IG report on, on, on uh, James Comey's mishandling of Trump's FBI files, it's essential reading. It's only 70-something pages. You can uh, read it in one sitting, and it details not just his mishandling of documents, and I know the focus has been on that, whether he'd be prosecuted for that, he should have been, but it also highlights why he was creating the documents to begin with, which is the big news. It was all designed to destroy Donald Trump. It was all part of this coup cabal that was developed during the Obama administration at the most senior levels, and I mean Barack Obama, and continued into the Trump administration. Just incredible information here. And I want to talk first about the IG's conclusions on the, uh, what Comey did, because I think it's important to get the specifics out, because uh, James Comey, who uh, is continuing to lie and mislead about his conduct, is out there saying this report somehow exonerates him. It doesn't. It excoriates him for his mishandling of uh, Donald Trump's FBI files. Just to be clear, he took Donald Trump's FBI files, kept them in his home, it included classified information, he was lying about whether he had that information, he leaked some of that information to the New York Times specifically to get Robert Mueller appointed. He took Donald Trump's FBI files and leaked them as part of a vendetta against him to get back at him for having fired him. That's pretty clear. And the IG report has gotten into the details confirming uh, a lot of what Judicial Watch has already uncovered doing the work of the IG. We didn't need um, uh, the, the uh, seemingly never-ending period of time the IG took to take this, uh, to investigate this. There was only 20 witnesses. Uh, they could have done this in a heartbeat, but instead it took nearly a year. As described in today's report, I'm going to read you from the release the IG put out. So it's not Judicial Watch criticizing Comey. It's not President Trump criticizing Comey. This is the IG of the Justice Department. By the way, an appointee of President uh, Obama criticizing Comey. The OIG concluded that the memos were official FBI records. The IG determined that Comey violated applicable policies and his FBI employment agreement by providing one of the unclassified memos 
that contained official FBI information, including sensitive investigative information, to his friend with instructions for the friend to share the contents of the memo with a reporter. Additionally, the OIG determined that Comey, while FBI director, kept co copies of four of the seven memos in a personal safe at his home, and after his removal as FBI director, violated FBI's policies and FBI employment agreement by failing to notify the FBI that he retained them or to seek authorization to retain them. Comey likely, likewise violated applicable policies in his FBI employment agreement by providing copies following his removal as FBI director of the four memos he had kept in his home to three private attorneys without FBI authorization. Comey also failed to fulfill his obligations to immediately alert the FBI about his disclosures to his private attorneys once he became aware that the FBI, after Comey's removal, had determined that one of the memos included several words, the names of foreign countries being discussed by the president, that were classified at the confidential level. So here you have the details of Comey breaking every rule in the book, both as FBI director and as fired FBI director. Now the outrage is here, he's talking, the IG is, about his violations of FBI rules and procedures. The process was, according to the IG, is that he had shared, and I want to get specific here because this shows you the failures of the Justice Department in this regard. Upon completion of our investigation, pursuant to the law, I'm going to paraphrase, the OIG provided a copy of its factual findings to the department for a prosecutorial decision regarding Comey's conduct. After reviewing the matter, the department declined prosecution. Thereafter, we prepared this report to consider whether Comey's actions violated department or FBI policy or the terms of Comey's employment agreement. So they found facts warranting a referral to the Justice Department for a criminal prosecution of the fired FBI director. And the Justice Department, under the leadership of Attorney General Barr, declined to prosecute. That is beyond belief. It is beyond belief. So this IG report is necessarily weak tea because it doesn't get into the criminal aspects of what Comey did. It talks about the violations of rules and procedures related to the handling of classified information, FBI information, federal records. But the crimes are legion, and to me, it's outrageous that the Justice Department declined prosecution. I tell you, and this is par for the course from the Justice Department. It was in April of last year, I believe, that the IG uh, detailed the sham Clinton email investigation, the text, message, text messages between Strzok and Page, demonstrating political bias in the Russia investigation, and specifically a referral was made about Andrew McCabe, the number two of the FBI under Comey. Comey's crony. And as of this week, the news was out there that they're, quote, close to deciding whether to prosecute him or not. Are you kidding me? It's been 18 months. 
Not one prosecution. And then it's announced this week that DOJ, it's confirmed this week because they've been reporting that they didn't want to prosecute Comey, that they're kicking the kid, they're, they're not going to do anything on Comey's misconduct. And the news about McCabe, and I guess their thinking is about Comey, is that, well, you know, in D.C. there are a lot of Democrats, so we can't trust those Democratic jurors to follow the law. That's bunk. That's excuse-making. These are American citizens, and juries, in my experience, and it's not a perfect process, are more than capable of putting aside their political biases to apply the law in a neutral manner. I trust a jury in D.C. over the corrupt FBI leadership that Comey was running, or the Mueller operations decision-breaking on prosecutions. They blame the, cult, the jury pool as to whether or not the, the, the delay in prosecuting McCabe. And I'll get into the criminal aspects of, of the Comey issue in a minute. I want to go into some more detail on this report because it details, and the focus has been on the, on the as I say, the release of the memos. You can hear, see that in the release I read to you. But the big deal is it confirms the coup against Trump and that Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy him. I'm paraphrasing admittedly, but that's pretty clear what was going on. The first big memo he wrote was over his January meeting when he was president-elect in Trump Tower where he ambushed him with the dossier that he knew was salacious and unverified. I'm quoting Comey. And they've been lying to us. And we knew they've been lying because if you've watched us, we, know, we tell you what the lies are. As I said, I've always been calling it an ambush. They're pretending they needed to brief him to give him a heads up because of a pending leak. I mean, it's just gobbledygook talk. Criminals trying to justify their criminality. This report confirms they went in to confront him with, the, with, the, uh, with that ambush interview because they were trying to make a case against him. You had the FBI director under Obama playing spy. We're talking about spying on the Trump campaign, spying on President-elect Trump, Spying on President Trump, Comey was the chief spy, and he was designated as such by Barack Obama because they met about this very issue a day or two before in the Oval Office with Barack Obama, Biden, Susan Rice, all the king's horses, all the king's men in there, and Comey was the go-to guy. And I want to read you because the liberal media doesn't care about this. They don't care about the attempt to destroy our republic because they were part of it. Forgive me for getting a little heated here, but this is our country we're talking about. Comey's first one-on-one -on -one meeting with Trump occurred on January 6, 2017 at Trump Tower as part of the briefing the president-elect on the Intelligence Committee assessment, the one that you shouldn't really trust, 
on Russia efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. The first part of the briefing, and I'm cutting through some of this, jointly conducted by the intelligence community directors involved briefing the president-elect on the overall conclusions of the ICA. The second part of the meeting, briefing, concerned notifying the president-elect, quote, of salacious and unverified, and that's in quotes, information about Trump's alleged conduct in Moscow several years later, earlier. Before briefing President-elect Trump, Comey met with senior leaders of the FBI, including his chief of staff, James Rubicki, then FBI Director Andrew McCabe, FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, then FBI General Counsel James Baker, and the supervisors of the FBI's investigation of Russian interference with the 2016 presidential election, which would have included Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, the anti-Trump activists who were lovers at the time. Baker and McCabe told the OIG they had raised and discussed with Comey a number of concerns about Comey meeting alone with President-elect Trump. They did not want the President-elect to perceive the one-on-one -on -one briefing as an effort to hold information over him like a Hoover-esque type of plot. Well, it's exactly what they were doing, but they didn't want it to be seen like that. Witnesses interviewed by the OIG said they discussed Trump's potential responses as being told about the salacious information including that Trump might make statements about or provide information of value to the pending Russia interference investigation. They were going in there to spy on him. As for all practical purposes, Comey may as well have been, wear as well have been wearing a wire. That FBI counterintelligence investigation known as Crossfire Hurricane concerned whether in individuals associated with the Trump campaign during the 16 presidential election was coordinating with or had been unwittingly co-opted by the Russian government. They already knew at the time that was not true, guys. They already knew. It was all based on this dossier that they knew, quote, was salacious and unverified. Nothing was backing it up. I have the 302s or Judicial Watch does, I've talked about them, we just got them, that show they, none of it was panning out. That's why the FBI was desperate to try to talk to Steele, it wasn't panning out. And they knew it was based on uh, a material created by someone who was desperate, quote, desperate to stop Trump. And yet they took this garbage material that they knew wasn't true and went and confronted the president-elect with it. Why? Because the Clinton gang, and I guarantee you, the Comey-Obama the gang was leaking it. And they knew it was going to come out. Everyone knew it was going to come out. But that was a pretext because they wanted to get his reaction as the target of this unprecedented, illegal, illicit spy operation. The coup. Multiple FBI witnesses recalled agreeing ahead of time that Comey should memorialize his meeting with Trump immediately after it occurred. Comey told the IG that in his view it was important for the FBI executive managers, quote, to be able to share in Comey's recall of the salient details of these conversations, unquote. Comey also said that an additional concern shared by members of his management team, 
his cronies, the corrupt cronies around him. I tell you, Comey, Comey that, that leadership of the FBI was the most corrupt element of government in American history. There never was before so many corrupt officials in one place in one sensitive agency. God blessed us in allowing us to get through that burden of having those people there. Comey also said that, I'm going to read it again. Comey also said that the additional concern shared by members of his management team was that if the briefing became, quote, a source of controversy, it would be important to have a clear contemporaneous record because Trump might, quote, misrepresent what happened in the encounter, unquote. Why would they think that? Because they hated him. He's the newly elected president, and they go in thinking we're going to create a fake, we're going to create a record? Because we predict there's going to be a matter of controversy? No, 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 no. They wanted to have a record to try to destroy him when push came to shove. McCabe told the OIG that in his view, it made sense for Comey to, quote, capture his contemporaneous rec recollection because there were, quote, millions of ways that the FBI could get follow-up questions or criticism, and Comey wanted to rec recollect exactly from his perspective how it had taken place. Comey told the IG he began writing memo one this is the first improper memo, immediately following his meeting with Trump on January 6, 2017. Comey said, he, so he was meeting up in Trump Tower, just envision New York and Trump Tower. So he comes down from the lobby, he goes into an FBI car. Comey said he had a secure FBI laptop waiting for him in his FBI vehicle. And that when he got into the vehicle, he was handed the laptop and began typing memo one as the vehicle moved. He said he continued working on Memo 1 until he arrived at the FBI's New York field office where Comey gave a quick download of his conversation with President-elect Trump to Rebicki, McCabe, Baker, and supervisors. There's you got your Obama OIG keeping Page and Strzok out of it. Of the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane investigative team via secure video uh, teleconference. This was a setup. He goes in there, confronts Trump with this, uh, with this memo, with this fraud dossier. Trump says it's garbage. Comey runs downstairs, types his memo, and runs back to the FBI and has a video conference. Talk about dishonest dealings with the President of the United States, or the President-elect. And of course, this colored all of his memos with President Trump, oh, uh, memos detailing President Trump's conversations. He was creating these contemporaneous records, supposedly, and I don't believe that necessarily, detailing the President's conversations, and I don't believe he fairly detailed them, creating a secret file on the President. They don't even, uh, th th the idea that the FBI director would result to such mendacity is just, uh, it, it's, it's inconceivable. 
the president was so right to fire Comey, but as this material comes out, he was righter than he even knew. He was righter than he even knew. And if you give someone, if you could give the president a medal for doing something, he should get a medal for firing Comey. And so you've got this coup cabal detailed, the op operations, and the Justice Department doesn't want to do anything about it. No prosecution based on this dishonesty. And so I talked to you about the FBI report we received, the 302s or the, narrative, the reports about the FBI having to go to Comey's house and get these memos. And that report, he didn't tell them, because the report shows what he told them, that he had leaked them to his lawyers, or quote his friend. One of, the friend who leaked it, who, the one friend he leaked one of the memos to, he, was, he, after the fact, decided it was his, quote, lawyer. Uh-uh. You can't leak information, classified or otherwise, that you're not entitled to without permission of the FBI. And if it's classified, you probably can't get permission at all. But he didn't tell them that. And the report details, so they take the records, and, that, and I'm, I'm really summarizing, because there are other crimes he committed in terms of not withholding material information from FBI investigators. So the day after that meeting, <laughs> he testifies to Congress. The senior leadership of the FBI is watching this. Baker and Strzok are watching this. And he says, I gave this to my friend. And they immediately know who the friend is because evidently everyone knows who, uh, President, uh, who Comey's designated leaker is. And the FBI general counsel recounts to the IG, he says, I recall literally running down the hallway with Peter Strzok to call this guy, Richmond, saying you got, and they essentially say, you got classified information on your system, we got to go get it. Now I tell you what, if you were the, in this situation where the FBI met with you and said, you, you gave us all the documents and you say, yeah, but you didn't tell them you shared those documents, some of which were classified, all of which they couldn't, you couldn't properly share with outsiders, and they find out about it subsequent the day after, you know what would have happened to you? You would have been arrested. They would have gone to your house and arrested you, obtained a search warrant for your premises and everything you owned to make sure that you had turned over everything and found out what you really did. But he was protected back in 2017. He was protected in 2017 and outrageously protected by the Justice Department now. I don't know what Attorney General Barr is thinking in not prosecuting this case. They say it was uh, not even a close call. What surprised me about this report is that there are no gray areas. Comey committed so many crimes it's hard to keep track of. And if they can't make a case to, for on Comey stealing and leaking the president's FBI files, just cut through all the cut through all the chaff, chaff, and that's what it is. Chaff, chaff. The FBI director stole and leaked the president's FBI files to quote advance his personal agenda, according to the OIG. And they can't make a criminal case out of that. 
Now we're being told the next IG report is going to be really smoker and I, uh, really smoking, and I'm sure it will be. But if you think they won't prosecute, if they won't prosecute Comey on this, that they will make a more complex prosecutorial case related to FISAgate fraud that we've known about, by the way, for two years, you're whistling past the graveyard. If I were the president, I'd sue Comey. I'd sue the whole lot of them. And the lawyers out there, you can think of claims the president could bring. Justice Department is going to do the job. You know, and I think Barr, you know, I, every time he says something publicly, I, I think what he says usually is pretty straightforward and on mark and on point, especially on this Russiagate thing. I do not understand his decision making here. I disagree with it. And he should reconsider his decision. The Attorney General of the United States should reconsider his decision to allow James Comey to violate the law with impunity. Violate the rights of the president. Impair the functionings of government. Destroy the reputation of the FBI. What does this tell everyone else who works in government? who is supposed to protect classified and sensitive information. A, it suggests you might get away with misconduct. Or B, it suggests that unless you're connected, you will get away with misconduct. And this shows you that, you know, and I, and I know I'm expressing frustration, but this is why we do the work we do at Judicial Watch. Because the Justice Department has been out to lunch on these major corruption issues for a generation. A generation. And Barr is a good man, but I think he fails to appreciate the ethical destruction of the Justice Department that has occurred over the decades. Uh, the FBI? Who's the FBI director? Quick, you probably don't know. It's Christopher Wray. You might as well have Comey running the FBI for all of Wray's insistence on cover-up, excuse-making, and placing the interests of the FBI above the interests of the American people. But thank God for Judicial Watch because we're getting documents out on Comey's misconduct. We got the FISA warrant documents out. We got the documents showing that the FBI was corruptly working with Christopher Steele and the Clinton spies. We got the information out showing the FBI was coordinating with the Clinton lawyers on both her emails and Russiagate. Top lawyers for the FBI working with top lawyers for Hillary Clinton on emails and, Clinton, uh, and Russiagate. Can you believe it? We're suing in court time and time and again to get the information. We just got the big Bruce Orr 302s. Bruce Orr, the senior Justice Department official working with the FBI to get 
his wife's Nellie's dossier garbage into the Justice Department files. This is the garbage that they confronted the president-elect with, President Trump. Judicial Watch exposed it through litigation, not by a voluntary disclosure through the office. We, still, we don't know anything that the OIG has. There are a few documents he attached. Judicial Watch is the only one getting the information now. We're in crisis. I love Judicial Watch, but it's crazy that we're the only ones doing it. It's absolutely insane. So when I get excited, I'm excited because I'm worried about the country. I'm worried about our government. The president suffered a coup attack, which I believe is continuing through the harassment on Capitol Hill, where they are trying to rehash the abuse of Mueller investigation with probably nearly 100 subpoenas distracting the president or attempting to distract the president. It's the next phase of the coup. And as far as I'm concerned, there's virtually no one in government, with all due respect to everyone out there, who wants to do something significant about it. But the president obviously is his own best advocate in this regard, but he's a lonely man in the, in the administration in terms of his concern about the audacity and criminality of the coup. He uses strong words like treason. I suggest seditious conspiracy. I think treason may fit as well. Does anyone in the Justice Department think that like that? I don't know. They've got evidence of a criminal seditious conspiracy here, and they decline prosecution. And I would be, I will be pleasantly surprised in a dramatic way if there are prosecutions related to the FISAgate fraud or anything else. I mean, this is my perspective. I was on vacation last week, so I missed the court hearing. We were in court, and I'm going to get into this now. We were in court last week trying to get additional discovery per the courts. The court wanted us, uh, wanted an update on discovery. We said we needed more. And who was there fighting us? The Justice Department, protecting Hillary Clinton on her emails and Benghazi. So last week, the Justice Department is protecting Hillary Clinton. This week, the Justice Department is confirmed to have given James Comey a get-out-of-jail-free card. Do you share my concerns? Thankfully, the court in this case gave us the discovery we asked for. So we got some good news. Our heavy lifting is getting results. Our lawyers spent the last five, six months taking discovery of witness after witness. I think a dozen, almost a dozen witnesses knew information on the Clinton email scandal. And we had more questions as a result, and we wanted more discovery. We went into court and we asked for it, and the court granted us virtually everything we asked for. We were before Judge Royce Lamberth yesterday, excuse me, last week, and Judge Lamberth went in there 
The Justice Department was attacking Judicial Watch. Yes, the Justice Department was attacking Judicial Watch for wanting to ask additional questions about one of the most significant government corruption scandals in recent American history, the Clinton email case. Which, by the way, is the very basis for the Russiagate case because they needed the Russiagate scam on President Trump to keep uh, the Clinton email issue suppressed and to protect her. So we go in there, we've asked for a few more witnesses, we wanted a few more documents, and we wanted to ask Mrs. Clinton questions under oath. We wanted to ask Cheryl Mills questions under oath. Her attorney received immunity, who is also at the State Department with her as her chief of staff, or chief advisor, I forget her title. I think it was chief of staff. So the judge gave us everything other than the two depositions of Mills and Mrs. Clinton. And, she, and he said that and Mrs. Clinton's lawyer was there, and he gave Mrs. Clinton's lawyer 30 days, 30 days to respond to our request for the deposition. So things are proceeding. The judge granted seven additional depositions, three interrogatories, which means these are written questions we can submit that have to be responded to under oath, four document requests, and of course, as I said, the depositions of Mrs. Clinton and Ms. Mills, that will be decided in two months or so, or actually less than that. The court rejected Justice Department and State Department arguments that no more discovery be conducted. Frank, as best as I can tell, I wasn't there, based on the reports from my colleagues here, the judge was really upset with the Justice Department for presuming that discovery was ended when in fact he had made no such order. And, it, and this is what I think is very interesting because I think it's part of the scandal. The Clinton email scandal is a scandal obviously because of Mrs. Clinton's mishandling of classified information, mis destruction of records, obstruction of justice, things like that. But it's also a scandal because the State Department and the Justice Department helped her cover it up and let her get away with it. And so we had some questions for uh, the Justice Department lawyer involved in this case and the State Department lawyer handling our FOIA case as well about what they knew and when about Hillary Clinton's emails. Because the judge, in initially granting us discovery, he's like, look, you tried to get me to shut this case down without telling us that you had 12 banker's boxes of Hillary Clinton's emails that you weren't telling us about. So I want to know what went on there. I obviously want to know whether Hillary Clinton was using the system to thwart FOIA, and I also want to know whether her emails can be found. So we get to ask the Justice Department attorney and the State Department attorney questions about that. So this is deep state accountability in addition to the accountability for the person you all know about, Hillary Clinton. Oh, wait, and we also, <laughs> we already served discovery on Mrs. Clinton for a key document her lawyers created. So remember, they, quote, produced all the emails to the State Department, other than the 33,000 they tried to delete or hide improperly. How they select those 30,000? So she had, let's say, 60,000, right? half of which they turned over to the state, the other half they kept because it was all about yoga, which wasn't true. So how is it they figured that out? And what did they do? What was the process? 
Well, the lawyer for Mrs. Clinton who deleted the emails and did the so-called separation wrote an after-action memo. So the we found that out through discovery. Not from the FBI, who supposedly investigated this too, but from our questioning by our intrepid lawyers. So this after-action memo, the judge allowed us to request the document from Mrs. Clinton. So we served the discovery on Mrs. Clinton and her lawyers last week. I don't know whether they're going to give us the full document or not, but the point being that Mrs. Clinton has to turn over or tell the court why she shouldn't turn over by uh, asserting privileges this document about her handling of the emails. And you're going to love this. You may have seen reports about how Mrs. Clinton's email guy, Paul Combetta, had supposedly sent her entire email cache to an email address at Gmail that happened to be the same email name, uh, same name as a Clinton, as a Chinese company. All sorts of weirdness there. So it looks like all of her emails were at this one address. And this was discussed in a letter by Senator Charles Grassley recently. And Charles Grassley, he he's been tracking some of this stuff uh, on his own. So he's to be commended for it doing some basic investigative work as a senator. He's not even doing it as a chairman of the committee. So I was, uh, the court said, I follow Senator Grassley. I know who he is. He respects him. And he goes, I'm gonna, I want Judicial Watch to shake the tree on this new Clinton email cache that's been disclosed. So this is significant new additional discovery, new witnesses, a new topic. Mrs. Clinton may be deposed under oath by Judicial Watch, and we're doing it all over the opposition of the Justice Department and the State Department. And Judge Lamberth, we've known Judge Lamberth for years. We've been informed of him on many significant cases. And uh, I guess during the hearing, he, he said, you know, I'm offended because everyone says they were... Well, this email issue came up in, in one case. It came up first with me, with a Judicial Watch case. The Commerce Department case, the Clinton administration, essentially, we found and proved through our FOIA litigation, was selling seats on taxpayer-funded trade missions. The government would send a plane load of corporate executives to foreign countries with the Commerce Secretary, and the Commerce Secretary would advocate for the governments of those countries for contracts for these corporations. As a conservative, I don't like the idea of the government advocating for contracts for, government, uh, for corporations abroad, but if they're going to do it, you shouldn't have to pay campaign contributions to get on the plane, which is what the Clinton gang was doing. So documents were going missing in this Commerce case and being removed from the Commerce Department, and Lambert, Judge Lambert, I, th I think he sent marshals to get documents and get them back. So they have the wrong judge if they're going to be playing games like they've been playing. That's why we have the discovery we have. And our legal, our legal team deserves a great credit for being diligent in this regard. Judges can only do what they're asked to do. They rarely do things on their own. 
and Judicial Watch is not going away on this. And as I said, it's not just the Clinton emails, it's the Benghazi scandal as well, because the judge is concerned that the reason we don't know about we, they were trying to hide the Clinton emails is because they were concerned that there may be embarrassing information about Benghazi in it. So Benghazi is front and center in this case. Now, I know the political class tells you you're not allowed to talk about Benghazi anymore. Well, I think it's a pretty bad, pretty bad scandal, don't you? Four Americans were needlessly killed, and they tried to cover it up to make sure that President Obama won re-election. And it turned out her emails certainly covered this topic. So there you go on that. Isn't Judicial Watch great? All this is going on while I'm on vacation, by the way. So, you know, don't think it's just me here, guys. We've got a great team. Spygate still heating up. We had another hearing last week. So we had two hearings last week. I picked the wrong week to go on vacation. Judge ordered a hearing on Fusion GPS documents. So we had all these documents that exposed Bruce Orr's constant stream of communications with Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS. Notes of those communications. I think they detailed 60 communications with Christopher Steele after the Fusion GPS spy, this is the Clinton spy ring guy, was terminated by the FBI as a confidential informant. So they used Bruce Orr to reach out to him, and we got all the documents showing that he was in constant communication with Steele. And uh, they withheld many documents from us. And uh, as a result of this hearing and discussions between Judicial Watch and the parties uh, and, and the Justice Department, the Justice Department is going to relook at some of the materials they withheld from us. I wish I had brought one of the documents. For instance, he has a list of intermediaries that uh, I think Christopher Steele was using or Glenn Simpson was using from Fusion GPS to spy on Team Trump or to get information on Trump. And that's all blacked out. So the Justice Department, because there had been declassification of those Bruce Orr 302s, thanks to Judicial Watch's legal pressure, the release of the Mueller report, they're going to rethink whether they need to withhold all that. And again, that's Judicial Watch doing this basic disclosure work on the worst corruption scandal in American history. That was due, and again, that's just one court hearing. But then there was another court order that was a biggie as well. So we had gotten um, these FBI documents about Christopher Steele. And they show, uh, for instance, that Steele was paid at least 11 times by the FBI during the campaign. So the Clinton spy was jointly funded by the FBI, the Democratic National Committee, and the Clinton campaign to target Trump with the garbage dossier that James Comey dishonestly confronted and ambushed President-elect Trump with, and they fraudulently used to get FISA spy warrants on Trump world. It's Judicial Watch got all this information. So the FBI was taking the position 
that they shouldn't have to search for anything the FBI had on Christopher Steele in terms of communications after he was fired as a confidential informant in November of 2016. I told you that the FBI was using Bruce Orr as a conduit to get to Steele. They wanted to meet with him before, just, uh, they were desperate to meet with him, and these documents show they were desperate to meet with him, coincidentally, just before Mueller was appointed. And you can bet Mueller's FBI agents were meeting with Steele and talked to Steele. And they don't want to give us any of that. And uh, this is Christopher Ray's FBI covering up for Clinton's spy. And one of the reasons they're saying they didn't want to give us these documents, guys, is because Steele's privacy interests were at stake. Yes, yes, they were trying to protect the foreign spy who had it in for President Trump, fired by the FBI for misconduct, trying to protect his poor privacy. And the judge says, are you kidding me? The potential for illuminating the FBI's activities, is I'm reading from the judge's order, is not too difficult to discern. Communications postdating Steele's time as an informant might reveal a great deal about why the FBI developed him as a confidential human source, his performance as a CHS, and why the FBI opted to terminate its relationship with him. Those records might either bolster or weaken Steele's credibility as a source. The FBI knows that. That's why they don't want to give us, of us the documents. Those records might either um, That information, in turn, could provide a basis on which to evaluate the FBI's performance in its law enforcement duties, including its judgment in selecting and relying on confidential sources, especially in connection with such a politically sensitive subject. Of course, the records Judicial Watch speculates about might not even exist. Well, they do. And even if they do, they may not reveal anything significant about the FBI's operations. They do. But that may not, but that they might do so makes them a matter of potential public interest. So there's the judge's ruling, and it tells you what the FBI was arguing. There's no there there. They didn't want to give us anything. And they were trying to protect Steele's privacy. And this is what the judge said about that. This is Judge Cooper, who is the judge in this case. He held that on balance, any privacy interest Steele may have in keeping the documents secret are outweighed by the public's interest in disclosure. So you don't have an absolute right to privacy in government documents. There's a balancing test. Steele's privacy interests are far different from those courts usually consider under Exemption 7C, which are privacy interests related to informants that the government uses in law enforcement, where disclosure would make public for the first time an individual's affiliation with law enforcement, meaning they don't have to disclose a source they're using that otherwise is not public whether as an agent, cooperator, or target. The balance, therefore, tilts in favor of disclosure. Accordingly, the court will order the FBI to conduct a search for records post-dating Steele's service as a confidential source. And the, the court, um, it's not here, but I know it's in the order. The court said, look, Steele's out. We all know he's a source. You're not protecting his privacy interests here anymore. And if you've got an argument to make, that's fine. Find and search the document, produce the documents, redact what you think you want to redact, and we'll argue about it. But don't tell Judicial Watch you won't even look for them. And he ordered them to search for the documents and produce them in 60 days. The FBI is still protecting Christopher Steele and the Clinton spy ring at Fusion GPS. 
And the fact they're doing this shows you there's more corruption to be uncovered, and Judicial Watch is going to do it. And the corruption isn't here just in Washington, D.C. It's all over the country, and Judicial Watch, as you know, is a national group. Some of the corruption is to advance this political agenda of the left and others, because it's a corporate agenda in some ways, of open borders. And it's this terrible sanctuary policy movement where states and localities not only refuse to cooperate with the feds on immigration enforcement, but actively obstruct law enforcement, where they have dangerous criminal aliens. These are aliens arrested who should be in, the, who should be in jail for crimes, and there are, they, excuse me, they are in jail for crimes, other than just being here illegally. And rather than calling ICE and say, hey, you want to deport this person? Or, hey, we're going to release them. What do you want to do? They refuse to tell ICE about them. So Judicial Watch filed a new lawsuit in California against Santa Clara County, which is where San Jose is located. It's just south of San Francisco. On behalf of taxpayers to overturn a policy that protects aliens in Santa Clara County Santa, Santa, excuse me, Santa Clara County's custody from removal proceedings by federal immigration authorities. Santa Clara County Board Policy 3.4B, excuse me, 3.54B, if you're looking it up, requires immigration and customs enforcement agents to obtain a judicial arrest warrant in order for the county to transfer custody of an agency, of an alien. A judicial arrest warrant, that's, that's a made-up term. Federal law doesn't require ICE to have a judicial arrest warrant to take into custody a criminal alien. And the local government can't impose that requirement on the federal government, not under the Constitution at least. So in California, taxpayers have the right, it's called taxpayer standing, to challenge illegal government activity by local and state government, basically to stop tax dollars from being spent to promote the illegal government activity. So the lawsuit is designed to uh, enjoin and uh, get an injunction and stop the spending of tax dollars to enforce this illegal sanctuary policy. We're asking, uh, we're saying it's an illegal local regulation of immigration, it's preempted by federal law, and interestingly, it is barred by the doctrine of intergovernmental immunity, which prevents a state from intruding on the federal government's sovereignty. So do you want Santa Clara County lording over the federal government? Uh-uh. Of course you don't. And of course the law doesn't allow it. And why is this an important issue? Because you can have a border. You know, we need a border wall. And I know there's one being built. But it won't be, work as well as it otherwise would as long as every major city and locality in this country is trying to thwart federal immigration law. That you, they have a green light to live commit, and commit crimes without fear of being deported. The reason we have an immigration crisis in part, illegal, an illegal immigration crisis in part, is because of these sanctuary policies that are lawless and designed to advance a political agenda over the public safety. February 28th, 2019, and you may know this story, I don't know if how well nationally, how well known nationally this 
terrible story is, but it should be. Bambi Larson, a Santa Clara County resident, was murdered inside her San Jose home. She suffered extensive and deep wounds consistent with a cutting tool. A few weeks later, Carlos Arvelo Carranza was arrested and charged with Larson's murder. He reportedly had multiple prior convictions in California, in Santa Clara, including conviction for burglary in 2015, convictions for, a batter, for battery of a police officer resisting arrests, conviction for false imprisonment. He had multiple prior arrests in both Santa Clara and Los Angeles County. Drug paraphernalia, methamphetamine, prowling, and false identification. Oh, another victimless crime, right? That illegal aliens engage in. At the time of this woman's death, this perp was reportedly on probation. ICE officials had sent six separate requests to Santa Clara County when he was about to be released from its custody, asking to be detained long enough for federal immigration officials to take him into custody for removal proceedings. Each request was ignored because of Santa Clara's sanctuary policies. This woman is dead because of these sanctuary policies. They were much broader, evidently, uh, before they tried to change the rule to include, well, maybe if they have a judicial arrest warrant, which is no improvement at all. You know, and Judicial Watch has become the leader, and frankly, sometimes the only legal opponent of these sanctuary policies. We have a case already in San Francisco. We're suing the San Francisco Sheriff's Department over their illegal sanctuary policy. And that case is scheduled to go to trial in, in um, I think, in February of next year, but early, early 2020. And we've been on this case. We had tried to sue L.A. County's sanctuary policy. We were unsuccessful in stopping that. But these sanctuary policies make every town a border town because it encourages illegal aliens to reside there and especially encourages criminal illegal aliens to reside there. I mean, you may have been following the news here locally in Washington, D.C., Montgomery County, which is a significant county just north of here in Washington, I think has had five rapes, rapes be tied to illegal aliens. And Montgomery County is one of the worst sanctuary jurisdictions in the country. Long-standing sanctuary city, uh, sanctuary policy. Whose side are these politicians are? On. I mean, if they want to advocate for amnesty and persuade American citizens to allow these people to remain here, that's their prerogatives as American citizens. But to abuse the powers entrusted to them by their local officials and the law, to aid and abet this criminality, pr protect criminal aliens at the expense of American citizens and other innocents, both legal and otherwise. I mean, because who gets victimized? I mean, you're all sophisticated. Who gets victimized by criminal illegal aliens? Usually people in their own community. There's more news sometimes when the crimes are committed with people outside their community, but the day-to-day -day criminality victimizes everyone, especially illegal alien communities. I'm unapologetic about enforcing and trying to enforce the rule of law. We are protecting the innocent in doing so. 
If you support rights for illegal aliens, then you want borders and you ought to want borders enforced. You want the rule of law enforced. But until you get the law changed in a way that you like, the idea that you're going to impair its enforcement, it's lawlessness and it's illegal, and that's why we're suing in California. Well, that's my update for today. I, you can tell we're busy. We've got more material coming out next week. Uh, it is super busy here at Judicial Watch. And we're doing more than the Justice Department. We're doing more than Congress. We're doing more than the media to hold the government accountable. It wouldn't happen if it weren't for Judicial Watch. We wouldn't know about the Clinton email scandal. That changed the course of history. Spygate, the key area is the Spygate. It's only because of our litigation pressure that we know much of what we know there. They will do nothing if all these secrets are kept secret. It's only because of Judicial Watch's efforts to hold them accountable and disclose the information are they even pretending to do something to hold people accountable. And it won't happen unless Judicial Watch continues its work. And I thank you for your support. If you're not supporting us, you should be supporting us. You can go to our website at judicialwatch.org, see all these documents I'm talking about, all these documents that the media is not interested in getting because they're uh, part of the coup conspiracy. Share the documents with others. Review them, but also support our work because we can't do it without you. Thank you for your uh, time and attention today. It was a great weekly update, uh, some good news, some bad news, but I hope it motivates you to want to do more to protect our constitutional republic. Thank you and have a great holiday, and I'll see you next time here on the Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's Weekly Update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.